Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. I'm going to say hola and welcome to Drive-by <laughs> Cinema, Season 2, Episode 1, or 53, if you want. A new dawn. We are... It, it's a, a day is breaking over the pandemic-strewn landscape of... Yes. We stand on a lonely planet looking at a rising far red moon, just like an Athena poster. And we, the survivors, are stronger for what we have been through, presumably. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, unless, of course, it's polio. Unless it... <laughs> yes. Which, the vaccine for which I remember was on a sugar cube or something, wasn't it? Was it something that you just ate? Correct, yes. The kid. The best vaccine ever. What vaccine was on the nurse's pen that she put through your hair? Was that a vaccination programme? <laughs> the nurse's pen. The nurse would come to school and inspect your hair with a pen and you're tickled in a pre-sexual way. She was looking for nits. Wasn't oh, she? looking for nits. A sexual abuse. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, new season. Paul, does that mean we're getting some new music? Is that what we've just played to the listeners? Or it, maybe it's music at the oh, end. You, you've really thrown this one on me, haven't you? Uh, well, you suggested season two last week. I presumed you had some grand scheme in mind. You know, a new logo, maybe. How about a new logo? I, I wrote uh, the first. Do you know what platform I wrote the first music on? Can um, you guess? A Hammond organ. No. Um, was it one of those tape decks with, <laughs> that, come, that pop up at the top? No, it, it was Google's little plaything music, little music. Sandbox. Ah, Music Lab. Google Music Lab. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you want more of that, I will do more of that. But well, it might be nice. You know, maybe I could hop onto Fiverr and get a professional to do it. Oh, there you go. But I find five and I are very disingenuous because when it started out, everything was a fiver. And now you'd be hard pushed to get anything done on there for less than 30 or $40, you know, so. Oh. Yeah. What about, can you not give them NFTs or or Bitcoin or Ethereum or something? I don't think you can, actually, no. Being a new season, I guess we don't have to deal with uh, any issues, do we? Corrections from last season, they're now thing of the past. You said, Paul, uh, what Minecraft do you fight against other players? I, I, I mean, it was years ago, about two years ago. I don't remember. I only played for 10 minutes. But it's, it's, it's something like called like Beast Mode. It's not other players. There are monsters that you all have to cooperate to, to, to slay. They come out at night or whatever. I have a plan, Paul. I have a plan to, to get you playing Minecraft. And I'll explain why, maybe, if we have time later. But I wonder whether... We just said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think uh, the old uh, adage on T-shirt thing, was that a thing in the UK, maybe five or ten years ago, where people would wear slogans on T-shirts of a rather annoying sort of chicken soup nature? Slogans on T-shirts are perennial thing. I know, but uh, just very kind of like live your best life kind of stuff. It's like telling people to relax or... Yes. Yeah. Calm, be calm. Calm down. <laughs> Guaranteed to set any bull charge and get any, any any China shop, isn't it, that, that phrase? Now, this week's movie was suggested originally by Adam. Thank you, Adam. He's come up with some good suggestions. He has indeed, uh, yeah. Uh, so this is going to be, after the music, which movie? This is going to be 2007's 
uh, fantabulous Fermat's Room, all the way from Eviva España. Viva España, yes, Paul. So this is, I watched this in Spanish with subtitles. I don't know about you. I don't know whether it was a dubbed version. And obviously we, as discussed, we had to scab this off. Well, I, I watched it on YouTube somewhere. You know, I thought Amazon had figured out that, you know, keeping stock of books that don't sell very much was still valuable when you don't have to put them on the shelf of a retail place. You just have them in the warehouse. You get a robot by which I mean a poorly paid worker, to go and find it when someone orders it. But shelving generally, uh, it's the price density of an object, isn't it, that really often determines how much shelf space you give it and how much ice space you give it. What, in a physical shop? In a physical shop, yeah. So, for example, handheld fans uh, have a higher price density than beach balls. Handheld fans? Yeah, the little, little things that you used to... Fan your, fan your neck with, ineffectively. Um, when you say beach balls, you're asserting there that they're sold inflated. Yes, they usually are sold inflated, hanging from are springs they? outside the shop because of their low price density. Right, okay. I, surely beach ball... But having said that, outside the shop by the door is quite a good location anyway, isn't it? Prime, it's prime territory, yeah. yeah. It's an impulse purchase. What the hell has this got to do with Fermat for him? It's, nothing at all. I don't know. I'm sorry about that. What the hell has this got to do with anything? Oh, well, we were wondering why you can't buy this film anywhere for some reason. Actually, Adam did suggest that you can probably still get this as a DVD rental from places that still do that, which I Whoa. presume would be like mail order rental, like I Love Film used to be. And I think Netflix started out that way, didn't it's it? A glor- yeah, it did. It's a glorious blockbuster no more. Oh, Paul. I mean, you really have been away for a long time. I have been, yes, yes. Yeah, no, there are no blockbusters anymore. They almost, as, almost as if I've been away at Her Majesty's, uh, Her Majesty's Pleasure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Isn't it? It's like, I don't think about the modern world or the modern Western world. As soon yeah. as you were released, you thought, I'll go straight down to Woolworths. <laughs> and we're very disappointed. Where do you get your pick and mix now? Who knows? Actually, the cinema is probably the best place to get your Well, I noticed there are lots of like specialised American candy stores operating, opening up around. Yeah, what's the that north, about? The Northwest's smaller, smaller post-industrial towns. So, shall we move now to Fermat's Room? Yes, Fermat's Room, which straight out of the block proves that mathematicians are the sexiest of all the STEM subjects, aren't they? Uh, subject people, as it were. It is. I, I I remember I was uh, I was lecturing uh, somewhere at some point, and I I was saying that mathematics was a language and not a science. And I, I got told I was crazy, which I probably am, but not because of that. Uh, but yes, it is. I mean, if it was a science, why is it not called STE? Why is it called STEM? And why do you get an arts degree when you do maths? Precisely. Yeah. But anyway, so I I don't know about this. Is it because they're Spanish or is it because they're mathematicians? But you're right, they are very, they're the dinner party version of scientists, aren't they, kind of thing, mathematicians. There are some very sexy mathematicians. There's Hannah Fry, of course. Well, you could argue that this is a filmmaker's idea of, you know, mathematicians, which may may or may not bear much resemblance to real mathematicians. 
But you're saying Hannah, Hannah whom? Hannah Fry. She's uh, a mathematician. Who's she? Uh, she's done the Royal Institution Christmas Lectures, oh. and she also presents the Curious Cases of Rutherford and Fry with Adam Rutherford. So, so are you saying that she's a glamorous mathematician because she's fitter than Carol Vorderman? Okay, so let's get back to the movie. 2007 Spanish thriller, Fermat's Room, or a rather scary Google interview. Three mathematicians and one inventor walk into a bar. No, they don't. They walk into a room and can't get out again. And it's not a joke. It's, it's not really a not joke. a joke. Their task with solving one of the greatest enigmas known to man, which is how to get out of an escape room. <laughs> But you did skip over the... There's an opening section where a really young, sexy mathematician explains to a bunch of girls who are completely enraptured by something. He's trying to explain the Goldback conjecture to them, which apparently he has proven. Yes. Which would be big news. Now, his name is Galois, or Galo- Galois. Well, it's not, is it? That's the, that's the pseudonym he's given. That's his pseudonym that comes later in the movie. But he's yeah. one of our protagonists. That's from maybe the main protagonist, yeah. And yeah, he's 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 adored on campus. Is it worth just explaining what Goldback's conjecture conjecture is since we mentioned it? Well, he explains it very well, I thought. He's, he he's does a natural teacher. Well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. So it's this idea that any even number can be expressed as the sum of two primes. Of two primes, yeah. yeah. Which is fascinating, but very difficult to prove. Yeah, even though the bigger the number is, the more pairs of two primes it has. So it's, it would seem very difficult to imagine that suddenly you would find one that had none. But of course, there are mathematical theorems, or well, not theorems, conjectures that have been proven to go wrong at very, you know, with very, very big numbers. So soon after the opening title sequence in Fermat's room. Oh, by the way, which consisted, throwback to season one films, uh, it consisted of someone making little model furniture, quite elaborate model furniture, and putting them with a gloved, a leather gloved hand into a little model kind of room. I didn't notice that. You didn't notice that. That was the entire no. sequence. It was someone making model furniture. Just like, well, it was hereditary, wasn't it? Where the woman was yeah. making model houses and stuff. And it was very creepy. Ah. This is in the same way, you know, he's planned it all out. He's perfectly planned this room. Um, but then after that, we get to see an older mathematician guy speaking with his friend. He's having a game of chess. And apparently, even though this was in 2007, there was a kind of lockdown thing going on because his um, his opponent in this chess game, apparently it was his doctor, and was telling him that he must go outside and, you know, socialise or do whatever. Which is the kind well, of thing people... People used to say that before lockdown, didn't they? They used to say, oh, you should get out. Get some fresh air. Yeah. But no, he was he was close suicidal, I think, was the impression we were supposed to get from this. And uh, he's later in the movie called Hilbert. All will be revealed later. So, Richard, slippage, subsidence and uh, flooding are often problems associated with all kinds of house, stru- housing and affect the structural integrity of homes. But uh, in this movie, shrinkage of a particular kind is going to be pertinent, i.e. the walls of the escape room are going to be closing. But how did they get there, Paul? And this is my point. This is my point about some cultural and language difficulties with this problem, because the mathematician, like the younger guy and this older mathematician, they both got this message with a puzzle, 
And if ah, they solve the puzzle, yes. they get an invite to this place where presumably something exciting is going to happen. And what was the puzzle? Did you notice it? It was a series of numbers. It was five, four, two, nine, eight, six, seven, three, one. Yes. And now what the answer is, is put them in order. And of course, it's seemingly random. And then, wow, great insight. One or two of them have, it was shown, but presumably all four of them got the answer, was actually that it's just list them in alphabetical order. But in Spanish, of course. Yeah, think so. It doesn't work in uh, in English. In English, this five, four, two, nine. Cinco, cuatro. So the equivalent sequence in English would be eight, five, four, nine, one, seven, six, three, two. Would it? Wow. No, plot spoiler. The walls are going to start shrinking. And I thought I had an immediate solution to this, which was trustatrader.com. <laughs> Now, Paul, do you know of something called the Online Encyclopedia of Integer Sequences? No, no, I don't. So this is a website where you can go and find uh, any integer sequence that has any mathematical significance. So it's a massive database, effectively. So you can put in any sequence of numbers and it will tell you what... The sequence is, you know, how they're connected, what that sequence means. And you could, in fact, put in the sequence that we had in the movie. Or the sequence I've just given you in English, the English equivalent. Give me that sequence in Spanish one more time. So, there you go. It's an amazing resource, the online encyclopedia of integer sequences. But actually, the first number should have been zero, or zero. But that raises the question, though, I think. There must be a sequence of numbers... Con- which consist of numbers which don't appear in any of the other sequences in the online encyclopedia of integer sequences. Thus, yielding a Russell's paradox, should that sequence of uninteresting numbers appear in the online encyclopedia of integer sequences? Nice weather we're having, isn't it? I don't know how you. I don't know how you want to respond to that, Richard. Exactly. Look, Paul. If you can't get on board with this, you're going to be in deep trouble for the rest of the movie, aren't you? Because it's Packed with these kind of puzzle games. Hey, anyway, so they, they've all solved the, the, the original puzzle, which I didn't get, because uh, I paused the movie to do the puzzles at each point. I didn't get the first one, but then... Typically, Spanish. You, you weren't thinking in Spanish, no, of course not. I wasn't thinking in Spanish, no. Uh, and uh, so they're all, they all get their, env- uh, their posh invites to go to, presumably, a meeting of great scientists. Now, Galois uh, has had his Galois. room... Has his... You know, his university office ransacked, hasn't he? Just yeah, before this so happens. He was about to present his proof of the Goldback conjecture at a conference. And uh, it turns out he's had his room ransacked and his work has been destroyed. Which, I don't know, you'd think, um, you'd, think you'd have a backup of it, wouldn't you? Even in 2007, you could photocopy things. Or put it on, <laughs> put it on your MacBook and take a, a backup. But apparently, it's all gone. All these handwritten notes have disappeared. Then the second guy that turns up is Hilbert, is it not? An aging gentleman who's yeah. suicidal and good at chess. Now his old uh, Jaguar, shout out to Jolian, who probably would have loved that car, has broken down by the roadside, hasn't it? And as he's got the bonnet up, the 
younger guy, Galois, drives up in his car and offers the guy a lift. And it turns out that they're both going to the same place. They've both been given these name badges with the names of famous mathematicians or philosophers or whatever on it. And the old guy says, wow, what a coincidence. The more I study logic, the more I appreciate coincidence. Anyway, so he's like, he's the old guy that refuses to acknowledge that that maths is a young man's game. Then we've got Pascal, or related to the name Pascal, who apparently is a shy boy. And Oliver, uh, the female scientist, or or mathematician, uh, not clear what her speciality is. Uh, and uh, Well, it later becomes knows. clear that she ah. was the ex-girlfriend of uh, Galois. I it? see, yes. Because the moment they're alone, they, they start snogging again, which, you know, is a problem, isn't it, for exes? Someone goes out so, the room, leaves two exes, they just start, they just can't, can't help themselves but, but snog. I guess it's a force of habit. So they arrive at a, uh, at a shoreline, Presumably a lake in the middle of Spain. It's a reservoir, then, isn't it? Because oh. there's an old church half in the lake. Correct, yes. In the reservoir, rather. And then they... Are they receiving messages about how to proceed at this point? Not particularly. They were told to wait until a particular time. And at ah. that time, one of them spots headlights flashing from the opposite shore. And he jumps up, to, to get a better view, he jumps up on an object on the shoreline. And it turns out to be a boat called... Named Pythagoras. Pythagoras, yep. Yeah. So, obviously, they have to get in the boat and row across. And, wow, mysterious. And so they do that. There's four of them. As you say, there's Hilbert, Galois, Pascal, and Oliver. Named after Oliver Sabuco, who was the only one I had no knowledge of whatsoever. But I think she's a Spanish philosopher. I guess, uh, as we later learn, as we later learn in the in the uh, plot of this movie, whoever has come up with these names had to find a presumably female um, mathematician or philosopher or scientist who died very early at the same age as this woman. Except uh, this is the problem I have. Oliver Oliver Oliver, Oliver Sabuco didn't die age twenty something. Oh. Uh, Either forty or sixty. Oh, so, you looked yeah. her up. Yes. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Maybe it's a different one then. Perhaps. No, because they say her full name in the movie. They say it's Oliver Sabuco, and there's only one Oliver Sabuco. <laughs> I imagine the monks used to sing that in the 15th, 16th century. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they row across and they get to a rather, rather dilapidated old warehouse in the countryside. Countryside warehouses being a, being a thing where you grow grow olives or whatnot. You're missing a bit. How they get there? They uh, and interestingly, how long did it take them to row across that reservoir? Because they started out in the daylight. By the time they get there, it's the middle of the night. But anyway, um, yeah, well, they're, they're not, there's, they're there's not Matthew Pinsons, are they? There's a there's a mini, a new mini left on yeah, the other shore. Yeah, capitalized mini. There's capitalized mini. And inside, there is a GPS device on the windscreen, which they describe as a PDA. Because this is 2007, Paul. <laughs> Smartphones don't exist yet. So it was like a pocket PC or something. It was, yeah. Which is not, you know, you can believe that because it was plugged in, so it wouldn't have run out of power like most PDAs would have done. Uh, yeah, you can imagine that that would be true. So they follow the GPS track on that um, PDA to find... To find a warehouse, 
But on the inside is like the box on the titles from Campbellwick Green. It opens up and unfolds to 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 a room that replicates uh, an intellectual's study and library. It's full That's of books right. yeah. and a table uh, with dinner waiting for them. And for the keen-eyed among us, you would have noticed that it matches the miniature room in the title sequence where the model uh, furniture oh, was oh, I, didn't, I didn't notice You that. didn't notice that. Okay. So we know there is some leather-gloved uh, puppet master controlling this whole thing. Dun, and the, dun, dun. They know that anyway, because some guy called Fermat has invited them to this place. And they're all intrigued, obviously, and they're all keen on solving these puzzles, so they're all happy to go along. Um, uh, but Hilbert says, you know, normally it would be in a swanky hotel or somewhere nice, a nice drawing room with, you know... And when they open the door, they've got this sort of drawing room style place with a piano and stuff like that. So, what happens in the room? Well, I mean, they imagine, I guess, that they're going to be riddled with some delightful intellectual teasers, rather like the books, rather like in a book by Umberto Eco. I saw the movie with Christian Slater. But, as it transpires, a few few moments later, the, the room locks and it becomes a real... That's after the uh, the guy with a Fermat badge arrives. Yes, uh, and yep. he he invites them all to sit down and have a you know bit of the food that's laid out for them. But very soon he gets a phone call. It's a phone call, and he he explains that it's from a hospital, and his daughter is in a coma, and he looks a bit shaken, and he's got to go immediately to the hospital. So he has Off to he leave. Pops. He leaves his jacket behind. And Pascal, the inventor guy, says, oh, you know, better chase after him with his jacket. And he runs after him. And as he's chasing him down the road, he's driving away already. It's too late. But the wallet falls out of the jacket. And he bends down, picks it up, and sees the photograph, presumably of that guy's daughter, which Pascal seems to recognise. And he, he yeah. looks a bit shocked. Yes. And he goes he back a bit to the rest of too. Anyway, at this point, the doors lock. Don't they? That's right. They go inside and... Well, they don't try the door yet, actually, but they're going to wind, wind up being locked at some point. But the PDA springs to life, doesn't it? And, mm-hmm. and it, so begins the Google interview. Yeah. <laughs> so, what is the first uh, question, Paul? There are, in total, I think, seven teasers here. Seven Cheesy wheezy little questions. Yeah. Uh, number one was solved by Pascal, uh, and uh, at the same time he discovers an industrial press invoice in the room for a Poseidon press, which is a big car crusher kind of press, or rather uh, the crusher that crushes the crusher that crushes the cars. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, the first one is solved by Pascal, and I think it is a relatively mundane thing. A about three wrongly labelled boxes. Yeah. So you've got nuts in one, fruit in the other, and fruit and nuts in the third box. How many boxes do I need to open to ascertain which box is which, knowing that all three boxes are incorrectly labelled? This was clever, I thought, actually. Did you get it? Did you pause and try and solve it or not? I did pause it. I sort of just about got it, but I couldn't have done it in a minute. They were being told to do all these puzzles within a minute. I know, yeah. Most of them were uh, yeah, basically Yeah, impossible. I mean, kudos to them. I didn't get this one. Uh, I mean, the solution is, is simple, isn't it? You, you pick the fruit and nuts, yeah, because it's wrong label, so it's either fruit or nuts. So yes. whatever comes out of that 
is either going to be a fruit or not. Knowing that, you therefore know the opposite of it is wrongly labelled and will be the opposite, and therefore the third one will be the mixed mixed bag of nuts kind of thing. That's right. The key thing is to understand that all the boxes are wrongly labelled. So if you choose the mixed one, uh, you know that can't be mixed, so it's telling you immediately what's in that. And you can then infer the order of the other two labels. It's clever. Um, I don't know why you are referring to it as fruit and nut, though, because they used it wasn't. mint it wasn't. and aniseed, I think. They did use mint and aniseed, yes. Yeah. Well, I don't think that changes the essential nature of the question, though, does it? Completely different, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I knew the answer to the fruit and nut one, but the mint and aniseed threw me through a loop. Yeah. He's connected the hydraulic press to the PDA. My original, my original thought was just turn the fucking PDA off and see if that works. But they never tried that, did they? Anyway. So, well, he did say that there were four. It was an invoice for four of these presses. I see. And you might argue, you might say that it's tricky to arrange four presses so that they can compress a room. But the wallpaper has a diagram of how you lay out presses so that they can all squeeze into a smaller and smaller square. Wow. Because, you know, if you just laid them out naively facing one another, obviously, as soon as the first two started moving, the other two wouldn't be able to move at all, would they? Pressure. But, I mean, really, you only need one hydraulic press to crush everyone, don't you? You just need four stout walls that don't move, and then one press can squeeze them like a piston. You don't really need four articulated walls. I mean, it's not its not as symmetrical, it's not as nice, but you'd get the same job done, wouldn't you, squishing four people in the room? You would. I mean, in James Bond films, typically it's only two moving walls, isn't it? Yes. Yes, I mean, Star Wars, it's only two moving walls. But so, you're right, just one. One will suffice. But here they have four. Of course, that means you've got to kind of slide or pivot the walls. So that they, but it's. Did you notice the wallpaper has that shape on it again and again? Well, maybe you can talk about the second question. Part. Okay, the second one. So we, we did get A. A. We got the scores n- null point from the Luxembourg jury. Okay, B. It was 169 binary digits, so zero and one. So Richard, what was your first thought on seeing the word on seeing the number 169? Did anything spring to mind there? Well, I thought, how the hell. Is she going to count 169 zeros and ones in a minute? Could could you do that in a minute? And even if you could, how would that help you, really? So it wasn't set out in an array. Obviously, the array would be 13 by 13. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, the answer is that they are pixels. Yeah. Uh, they're yeah. indicatory pixels. If you lay it out in a 13 by 13 square, it reveals the silhouette of a skull or, you know, well, or a, a, a sprite of a skull. Yeah, well... It is a skull. We're led to believe that young Mathmo had never seen a skull because he said, oh, it's a face. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, at a, a resolution of 169 pixels, I mean, I, I fair play to him, I think. It was clearly a stylized skull. Only I someone this who one. had no cultural references for what a skull looks like. How far did you get, Richard? I got to 13 squared. It's 169. Uh, no, I, I, I assumed, yeah, I assumed there was going to be a lot of tarting around with the binary. This, stuff. I think, was the most lateral of all the questions. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, on to questions. So, we're at zero points continually. Okay, how well, about... Well, there's no way you questions? could do that in a minute anyway, even if you knew no. what you were doing. He did it with Mahjong tiles, didn't he? So, 
every every second that they are over the minute, we've just got to explain this. The walls oh, are sorry, yeah. closing in, and the room is getting smaller to the extent but, that you know the furniture is being jostled and broken, and things are falling off. And it's quite. But a lot, two questions: in no big panic, it's only moved a meter or two. You know, there's plenty of space left. Yeah, so there's not. I mean, the tension hasn't really risen at this point. We're aware that they're in mortal danger, but. Death isn't right on the doorstep at this point. Question C was the classic one, and it was a lampshade question uh, in a lampshade movie, perhaps. <laughs> uh, lamp in a room, uh, switches on the outside. Three switches on the outside. Three switches on the outside. There's a door into the room that you can only open once. Uh, what will you do to the switches to ascertain which switch is turning the light on and off? Yeah. You yeah. can blow the switches, but you can't alter them after you've opened the door. Yeah, and you've got to indicate which switch is connected to the light. No, I got this right, but I've seen the question before, so that's kind of cheating. I also got this right. And I've also seen it before, yeah. You turn one on, and then... Yes, right, yeah. Yeah. Turn it off. Yeah. And then the second one, leave it on. If it's warm, then it's the first one. If it's hot and on, then it's the second one. If it's neither, then it's the third. So pretty easy, really. And I think we've, most people have met that before. Okay, so we got one out of three. Wow. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, at this point, we cut to uh, Fermat, who's headed back to town, I guess, and we get the clarity of a Spanish night at a petrol station. I think we've all been there in Spain. Or a quarter moon, as it turns out. Anyway, on to question D. This one I'm sure we've all seen Hold before. on, hold on, hold on. The thing about Fermat is he's left his wallet in his jacket, which is back in the crusher room. Oh, yes. Sorry, and they're all assuming that Fermat is behind this devious room because he's left them in it. And they start to realise that he's bought these presses from these invoices, don't they? Oh, they think he has. And Fair play to Pascal, sorry to interrupt, but he admits pretty quickly at this point, you know, that he hit Fermat's daughter in a car a few months ago. That's why he recognised her. Yeah, that's right. And that's why she's in a coma. And he hit her because he'd dropped something. Was it in his car? No, no, no. He smelled dog shit in his oh, car. Oh, so he took his shoe it was off. on his shoe. Yeah. And he put it in the glove compartment. And then when a woman steps out, he hesitated because he didn't want to put his bare foot onto a shitty brake pedal. <laughs> oh, we've also had... Details that you couldn't lie about, actually. True, anyway. true. We've also had Galois, who had worked out the name of who had organised this, or tried to by following the P.O. Box number oh, that they'd been told very to clever, yeah, yeah. He went to the office where the P.O. Box number was being collected, as it were, and he said that he was from a charity looking after brown bears in Spain <laughs> and wanted the particular P.O. Box number that they'd been told to use because that's how many brown bears there were left. Possible? I was surprised that there are bears in Spain. Is that, is that a thing? I, I think so, yeah. yeah. One's next Spanish holiday. Should we be wary of going into the, the woods because you could be eaten by a brown bear? <laughs> this is something... We don't have to worry about this in this country, do we? We don't have any natural predator-type, you know, big animals. If we? it's not cubbing season, I, I wouldn't be necessarily overly concerned about brown bears. Oh, right. Is that That's cool, is it? Mm. There are sometimes young roving males. We're talking here about bears again, or... British people Bears, on a holiday. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who might attack humans if they're very desperate. 
but unlikely. Have you seen the Werner Herzog documentary about Timothy Stewart? <laughs> no, about uh, it's called Timothy something or other. Uh, a, a guy who lived with bears, grizzly bears, I think. Um, no, I'm not sure I want to see that. It has a gruesome ending, doubtless. It does, yeah, because obviously oh, this no, guy. Please stop. Obviously, this guy is very uh, uh, friendly with these bears, shall we say? You know, he's all around them all the time and stuff, and gets very close to them. And he he's filming a lot of this stuff. And Werner Herzog has. A copy of the video, the video that was in the camera that was found, you know, when he disappeared in the wilderness, which is a video of him getting eaten by by the bears and his girlfriend. What's worth? What's worse? Who is Werner Herzog, by the way? Werner Herzog is the German filmmaker, doc- documentary maker who makes incredible. Films where he speaks with this narration all the time. No, you don't. Is that you? You never seen any? I don't know. I, I don't know. Oh my god! Uh, well, the film is called Grizzly Man, and it follows the story of Timothy Treadwell. And I'm almost tempted to put this on our list now, <laughs> but I think we should certainly be seeing some Werner Herzog if you never. What's seen it called? Grizzly Man. Grizzly Man. Grizzly Man. Wow. Okay. Well, look, I'm not sure about that, but uh, thank you for the German accent, Richard. <laughs> and I'm sure, because of the same skin, skin colour as German people, that that's perfectly okay. <laughs> look. No, it is. It is. Grizzly. Grizzly what? Grizzly man. Grizzly man. Grizzly guy would have been better. More alliteration. More. Yeah, yeah. Simple. Straightforward yeah. alliteration. Yeah. Anyway, that's why I'm a copywriter and he's not. Look, okay, we get on to question D. Remember, we're on one, we're on one point E. Okay, so it's it's a typical egg timer, or, or there's a name for egg timers. Uh, it's an egg yeah, timer. Yeah. Uh, what do you call it? Hourglass. An hourglass. Hourglass. Like, it's an hourglass problem. Okay, you have two hourglasses, one which takes four minutes and one that takes seven minutes of the sand to sift through. However, we're supposed to use these two to measure nine minutes of time. How Rich, can you did do you get that? A solution? How can you do that? You can't do that. Did you pause and try? To get the solution to this, I wouldn't say that I got the solution, but I understand it's like the thing the with the yeah. with the two like glasses or like measuring jugs, and again, you know, you pour some into one, and then and it's all about the difference between them, isn't it? Okay, so this is their solution. Let's, let's hear me out. Okay, so you set the seven minute timer and the four minute timer going twa- going going at the same time, and you allow you turn over the four minute so that it's essentially an eight minute timer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when the seven runs out a minute before the eight, you turn the seven over or something like that. Because it's okay. only gone through a minute. So you you can just add on another minute can't you, or something. Okay. That right? So yeah. at that point, you start timing, yeah? Okay. Okay, when the, when the four runs out a minute later, you turn the seven over again or something. <laughs> yes, and that's another minute. And then you turn it over again to get nine minutes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Different solution, which was to run the four minute three times, run the seven concurrently. Twelve minutes in, the seven has two minutes left. You turn it over, and then you run the seven again to get nine. I think both work. Yeah. Obviously, they're not solving these inside a minute, so the room is getting smaller and smaller. But what they've done, oh, yeah. they've tried to use the furniture. The first thing they piano put there is the piano. Yeah. The thing about a piano is, 
doesn't a piano like store a hell of a lot of energy? Like because all of those strings are all in tension, aren't they? So like exploding guts. Yeah, yeah, they have a big kind of cast iron frame, don't they? I think pianos. Is it cast iron? It's something very they strong. They do, yeah, anyway. yeah. So it'd be dangerous to be around a piano, I think, if you're trying to crush it. And uh, then we're on to question E. Hold on, though. Hold on. We're, because all the while we're getting more and more backstory from these people, aren't we? And we're understanding yeah, their sure. relationships. We've learned that um, we've learned that the o- Oliver, the young girl, ha- was an ex of Galois, the young mathematician. But now we start to learn something really odd about her. She tells this story about chatting, playing chess with someone online and then beating her all the time. So she becomes intrigued by this individual, chats more and more until he convinces her to go and meet. Uh, And she goes to meet him on a boat where she says it was on a boat because they go offshore outside of the jurisdiction of, you know, Spain to do yeah. illegal things. It sounds like she's describing some kind of rape chess boat party, which <laughs> isn't a phrase or an idea I've ever thought about before. <laughs> but it turns out... Is it out, true you can't be arrested for possessing drugs if you continually jump off the ground? <laughs> if you're not actually in contact with the ground, you're not actually... In contiguous territory, are you? Stands to reason, yeah, I'm sure that would hold up. Can the Coast Guard arrest you outside of territorial waters? They can't, apart from from, for piracy. But don't you normally have to fly a flag on a vessel, and that flag's Ah. laws would apply? Richard, I'm focused more on the puzzle here. Can we get on to question (laughs) E? Yes, sorry. I'm disturbing your puzzling. Question E was never really answered, although it was trivial. Uh, 36 is a total age of the uh, product of three daughters' ages. How old are they? And then there's some extraneous information. Their total age adds up to it. it never. It, they never get to answers because something happens in the room. And the oldest daughter's favourite food is whatever, blah, 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 blah. And the answer is they're nine, two, and two. They're twins, yeah. So nine years old, two years old, and two years old. Multiply together makes 36. I thought this was deeply unsatisfying. That's the question. Oh, okay. Why? Well, one, it was never answered in the movie, really as to what, how the three how the three pieces of information were necessary to solve it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So at this point, Oliver works out, through a mathematical genius, that Fermat was a puppet plant, does she not? The person who invited her to the is, rape yeah. chess boat party is the older mathematician Hilbert. Well, the room as the room is getting smaller and smaller now, he basically comes clean, doesn't he? Uh, he explains that he set all of this up, and his plan is to sort of frame the older guy Fermat, um, because he has a motive for killing certainly Pascal for knocking his daughter over. For which, by the way, he he hit and run, wasn't he? He didn't. He never got. Um, he never came clean about that accident. The idea is that the, the authorities will find these people and they will conclude that Fermat had arranged this and they'll see all these invitations from Fermat and he's killed the guy who's put his daughter in a coma. But really, but Hilbert explains that he, after working as a mathematician all his life now, he's been working on the Goldback conjecture and he's close to having a proof. But he's learnt. He's learnt by reading yes. a magazine which 
I think was called Maths Magazine. Galois' proof has been sabotaged in his office, so... He's just about to reveal his proof and would get there first. And consequently, his life's work, you know, he'd be forgotten as the guy who came second. The idea is that Hilbert is going to um, be able to leave his proof in this room and he'll get the first, you know, the first to find that Goldbeck uh, conjecture proof. Galois, meanwhile, he reveals that he sabotaged his own room because he didn't really, he didn't really have the proof. So H- Hilbert had done all of this for nothing. On to question six. Uh, you're in a jail and there are two doors and two guards, one who tells the truth and one who tells lies all the time. What question should you ask one of the guards in order to exit the door to freedom rather than exit the door to another jail? Did you get this one, Rich? Yes, this is the old logic problem, isn't it? So you ask one of them, what would the other one say was the correct door? What have you? Uh, now, let me go to the final quiz question before we get back to the plot. Okay. Uh, this one I thought was extremely trivial. Okay. Uh, a son is 21, year, 21 years younger than his mother. In six years' time, he'll be one-fifth her age. It's quite trivial, isn't it? Two simultaneous equations. A plus 21 equals B. A plus 6 equals, now, B plus 6, the mother age is also, divided by 5. Solve, and you get minus 3 quarters. He's he's a sperm. Well, the question was, what was the father doing? Or what is the father doing? And the answer is, he's fucking the mum. Yeah. Okay. So, final score for our Google interview. I got 4 out of 7. I'm assuming you got 4 out of 7, too. Yeah, something along those So you lines. can stop yeah. gloating about being better at escape rooms, Richard. <laughs> well, this just means that we're going to have to do an escape room. Do you think we get the job, though, at Google? Mm. Four out of seven. I don't think we will, but we... Brilliant. Sorry, back to the plot. Yes, back to the plot. Okay, the walls are closing in on them. And? And? And not because they've taken some bad acid. Hilbert says that they try and use a phone that they found to call Fermat to get help. Come but, back. But Hilbert says, oh, Fermat's dead. And he explains that whilst, whilst when they just arrived at the place, he'd gone out to Fermat's car and he'd put what he describes as phosgene, presumably a glass <laughs> vial of phosgene gas, in the seatbelt um, catch thing of the car. Some sort car. of anaesthetic? Phosgene, no, it was a. It's a serious chemical weapon. It was used during World War One, and it's pretty nasty, Fosgene. What it does what, it do? Well, it's a chlorine-based compound. I think it's like uh, chlorine, oxygen, and something else. But uh, it, um, it's heavier than air, and it has similar effects, I think, to chlorine, but it, it destroys the lining of your lungs. Oh, particularly nasty thing about it and what makes it, I think, worse than chlorine because chlorine was one of the first chemical weapons they used during the war is firstly, it's basically not visible, it's colourless so it can't be seen and secondly, I think once you smell it and it smells apparently like musty cut grass or something once you smell it, it's probably too late you've probably got a lethal dose so it's lethal in imperceptible Quantities, just about. Wow. Um, so, plausible, I think. I don't know whether you might need a little bit more than you might get in a little glass vial, but... Anyway, he's, he's engineered so that when he puts his seatbelt on, the vial will crack. 
That's right. But of course, out and drive off the road, and all evidence will be destroyed in the fire. Thing is, he doesn't put his seatbelt on much, does he? We know that because he gets pulled over, pulled over by the cops for doing that or something. No, no. I think it was another reason the cops pulled him over, wasn't it? Oh, he was trying to answer his phone while not stopping the car and almost yeah. crashing as he tried to do it. So like, just stop your car and answer the phone. No, he has to. He's driving around mountain sort of uh, mountain passes and. He decides not to transfer his phone because he keeps swerving off the road. Anyway, I thought that was a little bit implausible. But anyway, so he's, he's, the cop's in the car and they're heading back to his home to show his driving license or something like that. That's right. And yeah, then, the cop had asked for his driving license. He said, And the cop says, hey, hey, you do know that 28% of people die in cars not wearing a seatbelt. And of course, the mathematician says, well, 72% of people die when wearing a seatbelt. He's not a mathematician oh. necessarily, is he? Oh, sorry. Is he an inventor, perhaps? No, well, he doesn't have to be anything. He was only there because he had a motive oh, to course. kill Pascal. Yes. Pascal, who you described as an inventor, but you didn't explain what he invented. Oh, they do say. It was an orange juice press or something? <laughs> it's a, a popcorn maker in the shape a of a duck. Maker. And when the popcorns, it comes out of the duck's mouth. <laughs> Quite good, really. <laughs> but, anyway, so the policeman's in his car... Uh, because, of course, I mean, Fermat's all over the place. He has to go back to the petrol station to pay his bill. He wants to get to the hospital again, perhaps. By the way, be- when he was at the petrol station, he he the guy he said to the guy, how much for the Audi? And I think the guy makes a joke because his is the only car on the forecourt or something. Yeah. But I was thinking, use the number on the pump. That's what we do. Don't, if, you go, if, you get, if you buy petrol, do you say the pump number, Paul? Well, I thought I'd pay at the pump these days, but... Before that, though. Yeah, you say pump number three, please. Pump number three, exactly. And I was wondering, do they not have numbers on the pumps in Spain? But then we saw outside, they do have numbers on the pumps. He just decided not to use it. So I don't think he is a mathematician. He would have... He would definitely have used the number if he was. Well, he's here and there. He wants to get back to the hospital, perhaps. He has to go to his home to show the drive licence to the policeman who's in the car with him. And the policeman says, well, put your seatbelt on anyway. And it's that point when he puts his seatbelt on. And uh, just as they're ringing him, I think, on the phone to, to try and get through to him. And, of course, the phosgene goes off and uh, uh, and they plummet down a ravine to their presumable deaths. I thought that was really well done. I thought I thought that was great cinematography, that bit. Because they didn't try to show the crash or anything. You just plunging. They just came the came to an overhead view and you yes. saw his car and the policeman behind following. And then you just saw it just gracefully driving and then plunging off Beautifully, the edge of the cliff. Yeah. yeah, it was really well done. Very good. Well, what they've done during their stay in the room, they had worked out that they've all been given the names of mathematicians or scientists or whatever from history who died at the same age they are, except for that mistake you mentioned. Uh, But, you know, Galois and Pascal, their ages were the same as the guys who've been given those name badges. And they work out that although Hilbert was in the room and they kind of assumed initially that maybe he was committing suicide or he... He told them that, I think. Ah. They worked out that Hilbert had died when he was much older, in his 80s, and this guy's in his mid-60s. So ah. that clues them into thinking it must be a way of getting out. And they turn to look at the blackboard that they've been using. And for some reason, I don't know when this happened, it's got lib- liberty of something, or whatever the Spanish yes. for freedom is or something, on the written on the, the chalkboard. And so they smash their way through the blackboard 
and there's an opening behind, and it's a, like a dumb waiter, and they manage to uh, some tension going on, but they manage to wheedle their way out. The three of them leaving Hilbert, who they'd knocked out in the room to be crushed. We can only presume. Dear me, they do grab. They grab his, his proof theorem, yeah. his proof of Goldbach's conjecture. Proof That's theorem, right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, as they are rowing across the reservoir back to their car. Does he, does he drop it, or does someone toss it into the... They decide that the world will be the same with or without it. They throw it into the water, I think. Which is a very dismissive way to treat mathematics as a discipline at the end. Which makes me think it's not really... Maybe the person <laughs> who did this doesn't have such a love of mathematics um, that you might have assumed from the rest of the film. They clearly yeah. love escape rooms. Of that, there's no question. Wow. So, and that brings us to the end. Okay. So, what a roller coaster! Eh? What a roller coaster! Did you think there were some sort of parallels? Were they trying to parallel themselves into parallelism here with what happened in the movie and stuff like that, echoing theories and stuff like that? Well, I like the way that near the be- near the beginning, when they're first rowing across the reservoir, the four of them, Hilbert, who we later know, of course, is the mastermind behind it all. He says, rather cryptically, he says, this reminds me of the old puzzle about the farmer oh, yes. and the cabbage and the hen and the well, wolf or whatever. In Spanish, it's wolf, sheep and cabbage. Whereas, of course, in English, it is uh, dog, grain and chicken. But the girl says, knowingly looking at Hilbert, uh, that, you know, one of them is the shepherd. It's really, it's really a tip of the hat. Firstly, to the fact that she knows that he's the crazy chess rapist that she's been speaking to, presumably being raped by. I don't know. It's a bit weird. And all, but also, it's a, it's a nod to us when we've seen the movie a second time. I suppose that he's the guy in charge. He's the shepherd, isn't he? He's maneuvering the pieces into place. But anyway, so let's move on to scores, Richard. I thought we needed some different categories here because it is out of kilter with our usual viewing fodder. So I thought... And suspe- it's a new season, Paul. It is, season yeah. Season two. Onward and upwards. So suspense and thrill, acting, plot, and Google interview potential. I thought those were four areas that we could judge it on. I don't know if you agree or not. Okay. See. See. Acting, then. See, acting I actually thought was... Possibly the weakest part of this. Um, I thought I thought Fermat's acting was probably the best. Uh, I wasn't sure about the others. The girl was very flirty, like uh, all the time. I'll give this a five for acting. Uh, overall, for acting, yeah. I broadly agree with you. I scored it seven, but having listened to you, I kind of agree and give it a six. Okay, on to plot, Rich. Yeah, this is much better, much more exciting, interesting plot twists and turns. And I just, you know, it's just a good watch overall. I liked it. I enjoyed it. So for me, it's an eight. I, the plot was brilliant, you know. You know, the fact that he was a puppet plant. Uh, mm. uh, and uh, and I never really saw the inter kind of connections between the different characters. That was great, I thought. All right. Um, well, what do you have next? Suspense and thrill. Oh, yeah. That was nice, wasn't it? They built... I mean... Well, you can't go wrong, can you, with a, a room that's shrinking? It's a classic. It's a classic cinema trick. Let's make the walls crush everybody. 
But I, I like the way they did four walls moving for once. Yeah, and got that geometry sorted out. And put it on the wallpaper so you could work it out. And there was that great shot at one point near the end. That overhead shot where you see the uh, the whole structure shrinking down, the four walls crashing in. So, yeah, for suspense, I'll give it a seven, certainly. I'm going to score it a seven, too. Finally, Google interview potential. Do you think this movie... Could help people get a Google <laughs> into get through a Google interview or not? Yeah, the puzzles in here are actually uh, quite decent, aren't they? Quite often in these films, puzzles like this get thrown away, or there's one and it's trivial, or it's way too hard. Yeah, you know, quite often there's a puzzle that is in, near impossible that someone. They did a little bit of that in this film with the light bulbs where someone goes, ooh, hot light bulb. Or when the inventor was in <laughs> was working late and the uh, someone said something about, I was in the library and they say, put the books back in alphabetical order. That gave him the clue to solve sure, it. Sure, sure. But in a lot of films, you know, you'd be given a problem that was far too difficult and then some flash of inspiration will make them just get the answer. Sure. So, this, I mean, this was flash of inspiration, but it's contextualised, wasn't it? You know, it's circumstantial yes. events. Yeah. You know, circumstantial events that prompted them to, to, to think. In the same way, you know, circumstantial, circumstantiality of, you know, the drop wallet and that kind of stuff led them to fill in the backstories of each other kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I liked it. I'm going to give it a five. No, a six for Google interview potential. Oh, I'll give it a seven. Okay. I think on the broad sweep of all the films we've seen, mm. very few of them would get you a job at Google. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, very good dietary information if you want to become uh, a tech wizard, this one. you know, This is what you should be watching in your free time uh, when you're not programming, etc. So final score for me is 7.5. It's high score uh, and it's a definite recommend. And uh, at no point did I feel that this movie kind of dragged, which given the content, you might, you know, mathematicians, puzzles, that kind of stuff, you might think it would become a bit dense and torturous, but it wasn't at any point. It, no, it, moved. it was really well paced. Yeah, 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 really well paced. They were either solving a problem and you were thinking, you know, come on, hurry up. Um, or they were unve- unveiling the plot. In yes, in the actual fact, you could have done with maybe a little bit of downtime. But so, yeah, it moved on really nicely. 7.5 for me. Richard, what's your final score? The only thing that didn't completely hit for me, apart from some of the acting and the fact that it was all very contrived, of course, was this whole plot line of this rape boat that she alludes to. <laughs> I don't understand what we were supposed to take from that. Uh, I guess, you know, would you, uh, you know, why was she going? Why did she go back? That was never explained. Really wow. Hard. So. I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a seven. Mm-hmm. Recommend, nonetheless, yeah? Definitely. And it's yeah. aged really well. I mean, this story, this this movie is now 14 years old. And apart Except from, for the PDA. Apart from the PDA, yeah. I think it really hasn't really aged that much at all. You know, it's something that... The condition of the roads in Spain, though, is shocking, isn't it? <laughs> Terrible road he was on. <laughs> Unpaved. Yeah. Okay, so it brings me to uh, uh, the final final stage of our journey this 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 glorious afternoon which is to suggest next week's choices for you richard uh that we've got for you okay i've got grizzly man that just came up in the movie uh the new the new episode of the conjuring or the new the new the new film of the conjuring franchise uh and 
Moving on from this movie that we've just watched, Fermat's Room, Escape Room. Oh, that's an agonising choice, Paul, because obviously we very much do need to look at more Escape Room-related movies. I think you seem to enjoy the puzzling. Did you ever do the Times Tournament of the Mind when you were a young, young no, chap? No, no. News of the world only for, for our family. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put a pin in Escape Room. I think we have to come back to that. If you haven't seen oh. any Werner Herzog, you've got to see something by him. Grizzly Man is a great one. I think. We oh, should. that's his movie, not the movie movie of the man who originally got eaten by the by the bear. It's by Werner Herzog oh, about but, a man getting eaten by a bear. Does it include original clippage? I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. You're going to have to watch Grizzly Man. Therefore, it sounds like Grizzly Man is Richard's choice for next week. Join us next week where we'll be looking at men being decapitated and eaten alive by grizzly bears. Grizzly Man, indeed. Until next week, thank you for listening. Join us for episode two. Bye. Bye. Thank you.